This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of the Canton and Simiu Show, your weekly breakdown with myself, Tom Canton, and Harry Simiu, joining me from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Very close now, Harry, to 20,000 subs. We're just over a thousand away now. And uh, fingers crossed, uh, we can try and help you get you there because the link to the channel is in the description. So if you aren't subscribed to Harry's channel, please make sure you go over there and hit that subscribe button. Harry, how you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, all good, man. All good. Very happy after last night. And thanks for the little plug as well. Um, really, really appreciate right, it. Man. But yeah, feeling good. Arsenal go get an important victory uh, away from home. You know, there's there's not really that much. There is some, but not that much to be disappointed about. <laughs> no, yeah, there's a little bit. And we're going to get onto that and more. And we're going to get lots of thoughts of people in the chat box as well. If you've got questions, we're going to be answering them towards the end of the show. But do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. We'll start with the result because I think that's the positive thing to focus on, Harry, is actually getting the win. It, Wolves are a very, very difficult side to play against. They've beaten Man United. They've drawn against Chelsea. They're a side that can create problems, and they did create problems for us. How big of a win is this in the context of our season? It's massive because going into this game, I was in this kind of weird headspace where I was looking at it and I was going, well, this is a really difficult fixture, and it's a fixture that we could quite easily go and lose but given the kind of mm. narrative that has followed the transfer window you felt like a, a defeat was going to really kind of ramp up the pressure on the team and the manager all over again and I just don't find that kind of atmosphere helpful in any way shape or form so I kind of went into it thinking it's going to be a tough game and initially I was like well you know what I might take a point here uh, given it's away from home then of course both Manchester United and Tottenham drop points in the lead up to it. Mm. And then again, I was in this weird headspace where I'm going on the one hand, well, actually because they've dropped points in games that I would have classed as bankers for them. Now, if we do get a point, it's not the end of the world. And actually we would still have gained something on Tottenham. And, and of course we wouldn't have lost anything on Manchester United. 
But then there's that other part of you, Tom, that's sitting there going, this is a massive opportunity and you have to take it. Mm. And fortunately, we did in the end. But it's a massive, massive win for Arsenal from a confidence perspective in terms of getting us back to winning ways because of the poor run that we'd been on through January. I just think there's so much to take away from this and a lot of encouragement on in the way we defended, in the way we fought at the end when we went down to 10 men. Mm. I think there's just so much to be positive about in terms of the spirit and fight of this team. Absolutely. I mean, that's the difference between a side that, I mean, the sides of the past that kind of have buckled and, and failed under the pressure, but we've, we're seeing kind of a bit of a steal about this Arsenal team, a never-say-die attitude, which was one of the reasons why we managed to keep a clean sheet at Anfield, one of the only teams that's been able to do that in a long time. And now winning at Molyneux with a clean sheet is really solid and it gives us momentum. I was saying last night, I feel like Actually, if you consider if we'd have won, say, 3-0, a bit of a canter, I don't think that would have even given us as much momentum as this win and how much this kind of means to the players and also to instill a little bit of responsibility because there it wasn't perfect by any means and there was a lot of times where Wolves had chances or we weren't dominant as much as we needed to or we were giving away the ball quite cheaply in midfield. And to come through and take all three points and keep a clean sheet will be massive for this team. Let's let's talk about the key talking points. There isn't really anywhere other to, than to start with the Gabriel Martinelli sending off. Um, before I do go to that, though, I just want to read out Sam's uh, super chat who says, how many times have we been in this position where the other team drop points and we fail, considering that's what you were just talking about there, Harry. On top of that, Wolves were nipping Art Hills six out of three points in a six-pointer, as people have described it <laughs> as. Um, what did you make of the the red card? Because I I actually disagreed with, with some of the tweets that you were putting out at the time. And I think I, I put a tweet out in my mind saying, they're two yellow card offences. And I don't really want to get into the the intricacies of the laws of stuff. But whilst I thought it was two yellow card offences, I felt like in that moment, the referee didn't have to send the player off, if you know what I mean. That was exactly it for me, Tom. It's it's As a referee, I always think that your job is to facilitate the best game of football that you can while ensuring that the laws of the game are upheld. I think that's 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 how you'd summarise a, a referee's job, right? When nobody goes to the stadium to watch the referee. Nobody was there to see Michael Oliver last night. Nobody travelled from London to see Michael Oliver. Nobody was in attendance in Wolves colours to see Michael His Oliver. His mum might have been there, you don't oh, know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, I think the best way to describe this sending off is the way that Martin Keown described it, and that's pedantic. I think mm. that's the perfect way to sum it up. Yes, within the laws of the game, they are probably two yellow card offences. Yes, you can make a case uh, that that was the right outcome. But I just think it's it's an unnecessary course of action that the, the, the officials decided to take. I don't think a single Wolverhampton Wanderers fan comes away from that game last night saying Martinelli should be sent off if he just picks up a yellow card there. Yeah, And that's telling for me. You know, that that is telling. I think, yes, he blocks the throw in. And then he gets back and makes that challenge. Does he make that challenge, though, knowing he's on a yellow card? No. Mm. And a yellow card, by its very definition, is a caution. But if mm. you don't receive that caution, how do you then know that you're walking that disciplinary tightrope? And one thing I always ask for from referees is, is not perfection, because I know they're humans. And I don't even ask for consistency across different games with different referees and different VARs and different teams and different players. But I do ask for consistency within a 90-minute period. And there were worse fouls 
on that pitch last night that yeah. went unpunished, wor- uh, lesser sorry, worse offences that got lesser punishment from both and, teams. Yeah, from both sides, absolutely. And I like for example, there was a foul that Xhaka made in the first half, not the pullback where he got booked. Mm. There was one he made in the right back position where he came over to cover someone, and I thought that was a certain booking, and he didn't get it. Okay, mm. and fine, the referee's allowing it to go, and he's allowing the game to flow, and he's he's trying not to spoil it. So then, why spoil it with Martinelli? I mean, why why do you sort of disagree on 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 some of those points? It's interesting. I think I think I disagree when it was uh, on Twitter last night, and obviously my opinion can be quite fluid um, at times, and obviously based on like twenty four hours after an instance, I might have an opinion in the moment that does change once I've seen it five or six times. I'm just scrolling down your Twitter feed to try and remember what it was exactly <laughs> that I was disagreeing with. Now um, I was probably pissed off. <laughs> I know I just saw a barrage of tweets on your account coming through, um, but I, for me. When people were saying it's not a red, like it just flat out, it's not a red card. And I think that was where I was at by saying, look, it is a red card if you consider those two offences both to be yellows. But the issue is, is, as you say, is that a yellow card is a caution by definition. And he doesn't know, therefore, that he's going to be on a yellow and he doesn't make that silly, petulant challenge towards the end or towards the end of the run. Petula might be harsh. Um, I... I can't. I wouldn't be sitting here as a, say if I was in within the Arsenal hierarchy, sitting here and saying we need to appeal this red card. I wouldn't be doing that because you can't. Like it's it's not a red card that's appealable um, by the letter of the law. You wouldn't be successful in any kind of appeal for this. My issue is, is that what I would do is what Arteta did in his post match press conference, which is highlight the what is becoming a very blatant, obvious mistreatment of Arsenal specifically by the officials and not I don't want to call it bias because bias insinuates that there's like a, an underlying narrative that the officials are, are against Arsenal I don't think that's what this is I think what this is it this is is reputation gradually building within certain individuals which have then spread throughout an entire team so that Martinelli's not a dirty player Martinelli's not a player that you know to be like a Granit Xhaka for instance to get red cards or to make silly mistakes he's not a David Luiz type of character either but because he plays for Arsenal a club that has had so many of these different types of characters if that was a Spurs player if that was Harry Kane doing that I would bet my entire life savings on that player not getting the same treatment that Gabriel Martinelli did. So that's kind of where I see it. But to play devil's advocate, Harry, he did get sent off. It was a silly challenge to make. It made the referee make that decision. Like It gave the referee something to do, if you know what I mean. It gave the referee a choice. We've won the yellow card incident from the throw-in and the yellow card incident for pulling him back. Whether or not we agree or not, whether it's a yellow card or a red card or whatever... Do you think there's any kind of where we have to look back at the at how we are as a club still and think we've now conceded something like 15 or 16 red cards under Mikel Arteta and this needs to be addressed? Uh, it, we can't just rely on the officials changing their minds about Arsenal because we are doing silly things like we saw against Man City. Yeah, agreed. There's a For me, I'd call it an unconscious bias that's creeping in when it comes to Arsenal okay. at the moment. Every weekend... You know, we go into a game and one of the narratives is Arsenal's ill-discipline and, and the fact that there's a good chance Arsenal are going to get a red card. That was certainly the case going into yesterday's game. And so I think as much as you want to be uh, fair and you want to be neutral and you want to be unbiased, I think we're humans and there is unconscious bias 
within us. And I think we're seeing the team suffer for that. I think we used to suffer for that from that, sorry, during the Wenger days as well at one point. Mm. You know, when we had the Patrick Vieiras and the Sol Campbells, I felt there was a bit of that then. And I feel like it's it's here again. The problem from an Arsenal perspective and something that we need to deal with internally is that we have worked, I believe, so hard on trying to get rid of this notion that we're a soft seat, uh, a soft side with a soft <laughs> underbelly yeah. and that, you know, we're not no competitive cojones. enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that That is something that Mikel Arteta has been desperate to change. And I wonder if we've kind of swung the pendulum too far the other way in terms of aggression. And we're in a place now where there's just no balance. You know, it's that's how we're going to be aggressive. That's how we're going to go about it. And we're going to push those boundaries all the time. Problem is you can't do that. You know, you might mm. have got away with half of those things 10 years ago, but you won't now. And we need to find that balance within ourselves. It's it's a really difficult situation to manage because if I were Mikel Arteta, I'd be looking at this and saying, I don't want to take the aggression out of this team because that's one of the things that we're doing well at the moment. I don't want us to be a soft touch, a soft underbelly, like I say. But it's a problem. You can't play week in, week out with 10 bloody men. You know, it, it just makes life really difficult. I mean, what's your view on that? Do you think that it is something that comes from the coach? Do you think it's a lack of maturity from some of the players? I, I don't really know how to put my finger on it. No, I think you those two things you listed there, it's a combination of definitely those two factors. We have a very young team, um, which ironically, the players being sent off, Xhaka and Partey, are, are not the ones that are in that young group. But perhaps that kind of... That, that lower age amongst the players, and there's so many young players with so few senior figures, that leads into maybe some immaturity or some ill-discipline from those guys. I mean, Xhaka has a reputation for this type of thing. Xhaka is a bad loser, I like to describe him as. When he's, when the ball... like He did it last night with the shirt pull that got him the yellow card. Like, that is classic bad loser Xhaka. The player's gone past you and you've just taken him out. Same with Bernardo Silva. It was silly to pull his shirt in the box against Man City. Whether or not we think that was a diver or a penalty or whatever, he still tugged on his shirt so obviously and gave an easier decision for the officials. And... I do think there is also this element of Mikel Arteta trying to instill this ruggedness, industriousness. I, you could tell they were fired up for the game and they go into every game seemingly fired up. But I don't think he's found the balance to harness that energy and that fired up spirit with a team that knows when and when not to go into certain challenges or make certain decisions or foul certain players. He's come from Man City who under Pep Guardiola are perfect at knowing when a professional foul is needed to stop an attack or they, they, they don't really have to deal with anywhere near as many opposition attacks as we do. And I think that Mikel Arteta has probably taken that on and taken that forwards to Arsenal and thinking and definitely talked to players about when is the right time to make a professional foul. The problem is, is that unlike Man City, we deal with tons more opposition attacks than they do. And so that teaching of professional fouls has to be put into place so many more times, which then leads to these silly red cards being handed out. But I do think that it's something that we can overcome if we are able to, one, bring in more kind of competent, composed figures into the side through the transfer market, remove some of the the bad eggs, which I think we've managed to do uh, so far as well, and upgrade on certain players like Granit Xhaka who have these kind of reputations in the team. But you can only do so much because Arsenal now seemingly have this reputation under the officials. And 
the only way to deal with that, as Mikel Arteta says, is to highlight it, is to bring it yeah. up, is to put it forward, is to you know go to PGMOL and, and say, what on earth is going on? Take examples of where we've been given these decisions, where other teams have not, and, and get some evidence. That's kind of the issue with that. Well, one. look at the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about unconscious bias against Arsenal. We have to now create this unconscious bias that there is a some kind of issue with Arsenal to make referees yeah. think twice about it. It's part of, of the mind games. You know, so Alex Ferguson was great at doing that, going into a game, talking about certain things that he knew would then play on the officials' mind. And we've got to make sure that we're doing that as well and get a little bit more streetwise. You know, you've got to know when you can, as you said, make that foul and when you should just back off. And, you know, you talked about Granit Xhaka there. He's like a a psycho ex-boyfriend who's like Mrs. Has, has told him it's over, but he won't let go. Like he has yeah. to pull the guy back when he's already gone. And it, there's no chance of any positive outcome coming from it. It's, it's mad. It, it drives me crazy, but it's part of, of maturing. I think as a team, it, there's no real excuse for it when you're 27, 28 and you're at the peak of your career, shall we say you should have kind of gone through that already but when you're talking about Gabriel Martinelli and it's partly why I feel so sorry for him because I, I'm not I don't feel sorry for him for the actions but I feel sorry for him that he's been the victim mm. of the type of decision that I can't remember ever seeing before I know some people are talking about this Chris Baird example yeah like a few years back I don't remember that I, I, I do that. Northern I Ireland against yeah. Hungary yeah I remember <laughs> yeah it was a strange one but it's like Someone put in my chat box, I think, in the game this uh, in our breakdown this morning. We probably won't see that happen again this decade. Like we, it probably won't happen again this decade because it's so rare to see yeah. these instances happen. And and unfortunately, it's happened to a young kid who I hope from his tweet understands that it is a bit of a he's it, it, no, it's gone against him. It's not something he needs to be punished by for a discipline issue. It's different to say. Pepe getting sent off against Leeds, as an example, kind yeah. of getting in a fight with Alioski or Xhaka taking out someone in the last man or doing something silly against Liverpool. It's it's different. Um, when it comes down to the other big talking point, ironically, the goal isn't a huge talking point. Is you know, it, it was scrappy. It's kind of a goal that you see win a one nil uh, very typically in the Premier League. The other big talking point was after the red card, we had the best chance of the game by a considerable distance yeah. when it was a fantastic ball. Do you remember who played it through? Because I can't for the for the life. Was it Shaka uh, that played it through? Might have um, been. It did it come from have... that sort of area. It that did, sort yeah. Of inside left area. Might have been. And it was such a good ball that I thought he was miles offside. I'm so far offside when it first happened. But on replay, it's one of them where they're like crossing over. So it's done at the perfect moment. And Lacazette's through. Jose Sarr deals with it very well, comes out, make himself look big and all the, the trademarks of a professional goalkeeper. But there is no way that we can't have the discussion and ask the question that Lacazette sh should absolutely have to be scoring that. <laughs> Yeah, he, he he should. Some people pointing out that it was Gabriel that Gabriel passed. passed yeah. Thank um, you, guys. Look, I, I think there's no excuse. Let me just stick that out there first. There's no reason that Lacazette should be excused for at least not hitting the target there. Yeah. Okay, you, you know, you've got to. But having watched it back a few times, and I talked about this earlier on today on a on a stream that I did, I think the, the role of Jose Sarr in this is massively underplayed. I think he does everything right as a goalkeeper there. Yeah. His positioning is perfect. He shuts off the option for a near post shot, but also gives you so little with the far post 
that he probably puts doubt in your mind. He doesn't go down early, which doesn't give Lacazette the option of, of a dink over the top of him. Some people have been posting this still shot of Jose Sar with his legs open mm. and saying that Laka should put it through there. Yeah, I get that. But when you actually watch it in real time, his legs are open for a very short period of time. And, you know, how quick is your is your mind? I know professional striker, you want that quickness of thought. But yeah. I think for me, Laka tried to do the right thing by going for the far post. But again, he's Next 12 question. yards out or so. And to, to the only way you score there because of the goalkeeper's positioning is to set it outside of the post and bend it back in. Do you have enough distance with 12 yards to the goal to, to whip it outward enough to get around Jose Sarr and then come mm. back inside the post? Look, I'm not, again, I'm not excusing him and I'd rather he hit the target and the goalkeeper saved it. But it's, for me, not as easy an opportunity as some people have made it out. But it's going to spark questions again. And the, the, the questions for me, though, around this, they don't really stem from that chance. They stem from the fact we didn't sign a striker. And we've got to be really yeah. careful to be able to differentiate between what is a, a fair and valid criticism of one of our players and what is frustration that we didn't bring in a striker boiling over. I think that there is a valid argument regarding the, the signing of a striker in these moments because say this is the last game of the season and we need and it, it's nil-nil and this is the last kick of the game kind of scenario. I know that this is all fanciful and hypothetical, but imagine that it is. And you have a striker that's got a chance to take this opportunity to put Arsenal into the Champions League. This would be a very different conversation. Um, and the rhetoric around it would be very different. And who knows, come the end of the season, if we'd have, say, drawn this game, because, mm. you know, Wolves got back into it and went 1-1 and we missed out on top four by a point, we might, we could come back to this moment and be like, or oh, there'll be other moments during the rest of the season. And, and we would have thought, well, if we'd assigned someone that would have such either scored that or, you know, be a bit more composed, wait for Jose Sard to commit himself, take it round him, etc., something like that. I think that the nutmeg argument is a bit weak because, you know, as you say, it's only a very short moment of time and it would take yeah. a very quickness of thought. In my opinion, he, stood, he should still score with the curling of the round, the goalkeeper. The other option for me is, is waiting for him to commit and then take it round him in that moment because you have the time to be able to do mm. that. Um, but it will bring up this argument of whether Arsenal should have signed a striker. And I do feel like he should score. He, I, I feel like he should score. But just are we going like... to bring this argument up though, Tom, every single time Lacazette misses a chance? Probably. That's, <laughs> Probably, that's the yeah. Thing. That's the thing, yeah. right? This is not, you know, we saw Manchester United the other night against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. Did you see that chance that Bruno Fernandes missed? Yes, where, and he hit the post, I mean, yeah. Yeah, incredible opportunity. You, like, I'm not saying there's an excuse for not being clinical in front of goal, but I am saying that everybody misses chances. Mm. And, you know, in the end, we've won the game by a goal to nil. And I think that Lacazette impacted the game more positively than he did negatively overall. So I I think that you can have that concern about him, but I think yeah. it's it's very much a side narrative. And, and I don't think it should be wheeled out now every single time Lacazette misses what we deem to be a scorable opportunity. Well, listeners, if you want to hear it read out every time, you're on the right channel because we will <laughs> every single time. Um, I mean, for the, the chance in the first half where there was a really good bit of interplay, Saka and Erdogan, mm. I feel like he should do better with that chance and not hit it straight at the keeper like that, that in that moment as well. He had a big part to play in the goal, as uh, as Dan Robert points out, and he was you know, very committed to, and brave to go in for that chance that led to that touch. And that's certainly something that should be uh, congratulated. It's just... 
it will come up every time, Harry, because we didn't sign anyone in the window and because it's the key position that we look at after letting Aubameyang leave. I don't think Aubameyang in the form he was in scores that, by the way, either. Like, it's very easy to go, Aubameyang yeah, exactly. scores that chance. But in the form that he was in prior to him going, I don't think he does, to be honest. Uh, he wouldn't have the composure. But maybe an Izak, maybe a Calvert-Lewin, maybe a Jonathan David, maybe a Vlaovic, uh, if he were on a left foot, it might be much more difficult. But, you know, would score that opportunity. But anyway, we can do this one to death. The fact of the matter is, is that we won the game and now we're in a position, Harry, where the top four is in our hands, as I've described this show. It is in Arsenal's hands now. And I know that when we were on Lee Judge's channel uh, the other week and myself and you, coming from our perspective of things, get a hell of a lot of stick uh, in the chat boxes and in the yes, comments. We and we, you know, we've grown up. We can take it. But the point is that Arsenal now do have this opportunity and maybe this is where me and you slightly deviate because my opinion throughout the season has shifted a bit in the sense and I think that Dan, our mutual friend Dan Potts who you know is very good at raising the points that he has and whether or not we agree with all of them he raises them very well the argument that Arsenal haven't had European football this season and now have the opportunity to get into the top four after Spurs have slipped up with plenty of games Man United are not looking the sort they are and they had their own controversies behind the scenes I think that there is a real chance that if say we don't not a chance but there's a real conversation to be had if we don't get top four this season as to why we didn't get top four because of how good the chance is does that make sense yeah um you know there is a chance there's no doubt about it and that chance has increased off the back of winning away at Wolves last night but I still don't make it enough of a chance that I can sit here and say we're favourites. And if I can't say we're favourites, then I can't sit at the end of the season Who is and say a failure. For me, it's still Manchester United. I, I know Why? people because I still think that Manchester United have got have got match winners of a level that we don't have. I still think that the likes of Edinson Cavani, Bruno mm. Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Jaden Sancho, I, I still think those players are at a level above and beyond in terms of clutch moments, anything that we have. I still think we've got immaturity. I still think we've got youngsters who will fluctuate in the levels of their performance. I actually look at, and I've I've covered a couple of Manchester United's games in the last few weeks, and it's probably why I'm, I'm of this opinion. Mm. I think if I'm not mistaken, they made 52, they had 52 attempts or something at goal in their last two games or yeah. last three games. That's mad. So there's going to come a point where that's going to click. You know, it's it's not, you know, they get a lot of stick and they get a lot of criticism, but under Ralph Ranick, they're actually playing a little bit better. The results haven't always reflected that, but I just, I don't know. I still think that when you look at some of those players, they're just on a level above, you know, if it got to the last week of the season and it was nil-nil at the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal being held to a goalless draw and Manchester United are in the same position at Old Trafford. I'd rather look at Cristiano Ronaldo to dig me out of that hole than anybody in an Arsenal shirt. Mm. And it's just big moments will def like moments will define the season because I don't think in terms of the teams overall there's a lot of difference. But I just not I'm not sure, not convinced that we've got enough of those moment players, if you like, just yet to to feel really confident. What happens if it's Spurs that tip us to top four? Then that's a different conversation. Mm. And and in that instance, I will be uh, more understanding of a of a kind of harsh reaction because I think their squad is is poor and has yeah. been poor. They had to sack their manager mid season. 
uh, and bring in another one who they didn't really back as much as they should have in the January transfer window. And then you'd be looking at it and saying, well, actually, this is purely based on one manager being better than the other um, or, or, you know, significantly based on that. So I think if, if United get it, I'll look at it and I'll go, I'm disappointed because we missed out because mm-hmm. they weren't really at it this season. But I'll see that or understand, acknowledge that they're at a different level to us. I mean, at the start of the season, we'd have all put them in the top four guaranteed. Yeah. But with Tottenham, I think I will be more frustrated. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. If, if they were the ones to pip us. Because the reason behind them getting top four will be down to the manager. Like, it, it, yeah, because they have a worse squad than us, but they have a more experienced. I mean, let's be real. Saying Antonio Conte is a better coach than Arteta is not. You're not. You know, pulling right. up trees by by saying yeah. that. Um, he is, and I think that's where the argument will come down to is that if we get um, if we get top four over Man United, it will be in spite of the fact that we have a worse squad or a less experienced coach. It will be on the merit of us being better than Man United and better than Spurs. And I think West Ham probably fall into that same camp as, as Spurs as well. They're, I like their squads, but I don't think it's as good as ours. I don't think their team's as good as ours. So it would come down again to the manager side of things and pushing them forwards. West Ham, I'm expecting to probably with the amount of competitions, they're still in the Europa League and the FA Cup probably to fall away. And I think they've shown to be a bit fortunate of late as well, especially with that 1-0 win over Watford. So the hope is that we can go through the rest of the season in these 16 cup finals as I'm describing them and, and keep picking up points. And to be honest, I don't really think, and I discussed this earlier on on the, sh- on the morning show, that beyond the Chelsea and the Liverpool game, because we got United at home, mm. I would be expecting to, to try and pick up three points in every single one of the, I know that's not realistic, but I would be going into every single game bar Chelsea yeah. and Liverpool expecting us to win that that fixture. Do you think that's harsh or do you think that's fair? No, I think you've got to aim for that. Mm. I, I don't think it's it's what's going to happen. I don't think... I'm not saying we're entitled it, yeah. to it. I'm saying I'm expecting yeah. us to win those games. Yeah, you, you go into those games with that approach. I'd say Spurs away is a game that I'd probably accept the point from. Yeah, um, sure. You know, just because of the fact that it's in North London Derby, it's away from home and there's going to be quite a bit riding on it, it seems. So... But yeah, I think that's fair. But just kind of circling back to Spurs for a second and mm. and why, you know, I said that it would be down to the coach. I, I won't say it's solely down to the coach. I'd say it will be heavily weighted towards what the coach has done. But they've still got players like Harry Kane and Hume Min Son mm. who are going to give you more outputs than Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Odegaard, Lacazette. That's fact. Yeah. You know, you look at Harry Kane this season. I've just pulled up his stats, right? He by everybody's point of view, has had a dreadful season. Exclude the goals he scored in the Europa Conference League, yeah, because that's a farce of a competition. Mm. He still managed nine goals, which is more than our top scorer, Emil Smith-Rowe, who's got seven. And Heung-Min Son is also back and producing. So it, it comes down to sometimes players can make that difference and drag you over the line. And I feel like at Arsenal, we've got lots of players who are kind of bubbling and at the point where they're going to, boil into this wonderful piece of sort of, you know, wonderful footballers and and really develop and push on. But none of them are constantly at that level. Like I didn't really think that um, Smith Rowe was at that level when he came on yesterday. I know the circumstances in the game were difficult. I didn't really think that 
Odegaard, as much as he looked neat and tidy and, and did quite well, ever looked like a goal threat. I didn't feel like Saka looked like he was going to score either. Yeah. And, and these are, you know, this is the difference. It's lots of good players, but who's going to actually grab the game and say, no, you know what, I'm going to do it. in the way that Harry Kane maybe hasn't this season, but can, or the way that Hume-Min Son can. can. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's something to factor in as well. Yeah, definitely so. Um, but they have goal scorers, match winners. We know how good Son... Frankly, Son is far too good for Spurs. Like, why? I really question kind of his own ambition when he decided to sign that new contract with them because, yeah. in my opinion, he's good enough to pay for a Real Madrid without a shadow of a doubt um, and would start for them. Um, I would have no qualms about seeing him in Son in, in any of the top teams in the world right now because he's that good. And it's frustrating seeing that lot have someone of that quality. Kane is Kane's missed his chance now, I feel like. I, d I don't know why anyone would pay what Spurs would ask for for Harry Kane at this stage in his career. So that I feel like he will just now remain there and his career will peter out with, uh, with Spurs probably not winning anything. They're still in the FA Cup, but, you know, just their record in Cups is just so, so poor. Um, we're going to take some questions now for the chat box in the next 10 to 15 minutes. Um, Jonathan says, did you agree with Arteta's decision to bring on Eddie instead of Pepe? I didn't touch upon this at all in my reaction, um, but it's something that I know Dan's brought up on Twitter. Uh, I know that a few people have brought this up. I didn't really think about it because I looked at it as Eddie's the, the striker um, and we break, we're bringing off Lacazette and so you're bringing on Eddie who's got legs and can run. I know that Pepe can as well, but it was just kind of a like-for-like like switch, so I didn't really question it. But do, do you think there's any question in that choice? No, you, you take off a centre-forward, you bring on a centre-forward, don't you? You go like-for-like. Like. Mm. There's been so much talk and hype about Nicolas Pepe playing as a centre-forward over the last seven days, which has baffled me because we've never had any indication from Mikel Arteta that he sees Nicolas Pepe as an option for that position. Yeah, He's literally given us nothing, not even a five, ten-minute cameo in that position when we've been sort of ringing in the changes. We, we've never yeah. seen it. Even so at Villarreal, we chose Smith absolutely. Rowe at false nine instead absolutely. of Pepe there. Yeah, absolutely. So th there's never been any indication that Nicolas Pepe in Mikel Arteta's mind is a centre forward, and you know we've discussed it as an option because mm. we're paper thin in that position. But I think it's pretty clear those two are the strikers that Mikel Arteta is going to use. Plus, if I had one criticism of Nicolas Pepe, once well, there's a few, but if I had to pick out one specifically. <laughs> It would be that I don't always think he pulls his weight in terms of work rate. And and Eddie Nketiah doesn't really give you much else, but he does run, he does press, he does hassle people. So, you know, I think it was probably the safer bet. And again, why are we driving up these massive questions as yeah. a fan base and making big issues out of something that isn't an issue? Mikel Arteta managed that game after we went down to 10 men perfectly. After that Perfect. point, he did. I have an issue. If there, if Erdogan was injured, I don't have a question, but I would not bring him off. Without any, he brings so much composure and control to the way that we play. Unless there was a knock, and someone did tweet me last night after I wrote a whole piece about it, saying that they thought they saw him <laughs> limping. Yeah, um, but afterwards, yeah, I can't complain. Like I would have, I would have brought on Nketiah for, for Lacazette. I didn't really have an issue with that. He gives you the legs. He gives you the escape. I was actually quite critical of Smith Rowe when he came on. I don't think he gave enough when he came on. Um, 
I don't know what's happened. He's lost like a bit of a yard of pace. I don't know if it's just because he's demotivated being out of the team. But I remember when he scored that goal against Villa and he just sprinted down the left flank. And I remember him creating that chance against Burnley where he sprinted down the left flank as well uh, that Lacazette couldn't take. He just didn't have that turn of pace um, when we were like rele- when he was released uh, a couple of times away at Wolves. That was strange. But yeah, holding was fantastic uh, when he came on. And going to the back three was absolutely the right decision from Arteta. It's the same reason why we kept a clean sheet at Anfield and we kept the clean sheet again there. Um, Steve Stone says, Tom and Harry, out of 10, how do you rate our chances of top four? Oh, I'm still on... I, I was... I'm on the five mark. <laughs> I was just I was just below fifty percent, mm. and then we won You're last now night. Fifty percent. I'm now on fifty percent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a six. I think I'm just on that side, just because after watching both Man United and Spurs um, against Southampton and Burnley, that gave me a lot of encouragement um, because I don't think that we can do this ourselves. Like I don't think we can we can have this in our hands and do it ourselves. We are going to need them to mess up and I have hope that they will um, Yanis huge three points enjoyed the win so much Pepe's return at centre forward for Lille or at Arsenal hasn't been all that would Eddie have scored Lacazette one on one if you want to check out our conversation Yanis that we <laughs> talked through that Lacazette chance would Eddie have scored it I, I wouldn't bet too much on him scoring that to be honest I wouldn't bet on sure. Eddie to do to score anything unless somebody cuts the ball back to the edge of the six yard box for yeah that is where it is lethal yeah absolutely um, there's a few more questions about striker. Dan says, "Is Gabby getting sent off, giving Smith Rowe game time a blessing in disguise?" I thought Smith Rowe down the left has been our best player in a while. He's our top scorer. I mean, he made that position his own, and we're going to see him there. We imagine, barring any COVID issues, against Brentford. So, are you fine seeing him come into that role for that game? Yeah, I think the fact that he's had to wait this long is a sign of the fact that Gabriel Martinelli's done really, really well. Mm. And you know, sometimes in football, you get an opportunity because of a circumstance or situation like this, and you've yeah. got to take it. And Martinelli did take it. Therefore, it was unfair to drop him. And and we've seen that Mikel is like that. If you remember when Nuno Tavares um, played at left-back in Kieran Tierney's absence and done quite well for a few weeks mm. and retained his place, and people were saying, bring Tierney back, bring Tierney back. I get all of that. But unless there's a, a sort of... If that player's performing, then I think you send the wrong message by taking those players out. You need... And one of the positives of streamlining the squad is that you need you, you have a smaller group who are far more engaged but yeah. you only maintain that engagement if you show them that when they perform they will get opportunities and then you reward them for those performances and until Gabby did something wrong which he did yesterday then he wasn't going to be left out of the team now it's Emil Smith-Rowe's chance to come back in and make that role his own Absolutely. Um, just want to address this quickly from Scoop, who says, will the conference qualification go to eighth place with Chelsea Liverpool in the League Cup final? So, and Harry can interrupt me if I get any of this wrong. At the start of the season, top four get Champions League, fifth place gets Europa League, sixth place gets Conference League. FA Cup winner gets Europa League. If any of the teams that finish within the top four places win the FA Cup, then the Europa League place goes to sixth and then the Conference League place will go to uh, seventh. If anyone wins the League Cup that's in the, the Champions... Sorry... If it's, is it first the Conference League's the League Cup reward? Is that how it works? Or is there two Conference League reward places? Uh, do you know what? I've read over That's... this about 10 times and I still can't make sense of it. I, I think it's the League Cup, but League the League Cup, Cup is going to go to... Yeah. And then I think it, it might be... Chelsea-Liverpool. Yeah. I think it okay. might be Okay, so to do that again... 
Top four get Champions League. Fifth gets Europa League. And then the FA Cup winner gets Europa League and the Conference League winner gets the Conference League. If any of the teams that finish within those European places win the FA Cup, then that Europa League place will go to sixth. And if any of those teams win the Carabao Cup, that Conference League place will go to sixth or seventh, depending on who won the FA Cup. So I hope that clears things up as much as possible. Right now, because Chelsea... Yeah, right now, because Chelsea and Liverpool are in the Carabao Cup final, sixth place has the Conference League. If anyone who finishes in the top four or fifth gets uh, the FA Cup, then that Conference League will be pushed back to seventh. So eighth place, as far as I'm aware, cannot get. Basically, what it used to be is that you could have three teams in the Europa League and four teams in the Champions League. Since the introduction of the Conference League, you now have two teams that can play in the Europa League and one in the Conference League. Um, Ross says, Tom, Harry, what are your thoughts on Ralph Hassenhutl at Southampton? I think he is an incredible manager and will be snapped up by a big club sooner rather than later. Really like him, like his style of play, like him even more this week after he went and won at Spurs. Um, but I, I always, with Ralph Hasenhutl, every time I start to think, well, this guy's ready for the next level or the next they get job. Bad. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they lose 9-0 and they end up going in a really sort of, poor run of form and they, they they start to drop off and and I think we've seen that a lot with this Southampton side they've been very up and down in their form overall obviously he's done enough to keep them in the league and obviously overall he's done a decent job but there have been some really worrying dips of form outside of those nine nil defeats during his time is that down to a lack of quality in terms of his playing staff at mm. times and, and limited resources probably a good manager with a good philosophy I'd be interested to see how he does somewhere else um, but I'm still kind of reserving judgment. I mean, what's what's your take on him? Yeah, look, I like him. I liked him when he was at Leipzig. I like what he was doing there. Of course, I did because of my fascination with the Red Bull project. But look, I think that Hassan Hutel is a manager that, if he was at Arsenal, would take us kind of to similar levels that I think Arteta is doing. So I feel like if we were to move on from Arteta and we wanted to kind of carry on along the same kind of vein, I think that he would be, you know, a good pick. He wouldn't drastically change Arsenal, I don't think, compared to what Arteta's doing now. So if you like kind of the way that we're going, the project in terms of transfers and investing in youth and, and improving young players, Hassanut would be great for that. But if you want someone that's going to be completely transformative and an Antonio Conte kind of style, then you want an Antonio Conte style of manager. So I think that's kind of the difference. Mm -hmm. um, Peeny Ween says, uh, who would win in a fight between Harry's beard and Tom's beard? If you've ever seen the first Avengers film where Hulk picks up Loki like that that's pretty much how Harry's beard would destroy my beard so that's I think hopefully that answers your question it's just pathetic it's just stubble it's like yeah somehow I'm still 27 Hamza says is Erdegaard the most irreplaceable player in our 11 I'm gonna say yes um along with but it's very close between him and Ramsdale right now but yes for me he absolutely is yeah, he's definitely up there. Brings a, a very specific skill set, as we mentioned earlier on. Very neat and tidy. Very effective in maintaining possession and, and maintaining composure in certain areas as well. Also does a really good job, I think, in particular, um, when we play against sides with wing-backs, of getting out to that right-hand side and helping Saka and the right-back deal with it. And then also getting out there to combine closely with them in an attacking sense. A lot of work rate, a lot of technical ability, and uh, and clearly one of the team's leaders, no doubt about it. Yeah, I I love the guy. I, I honestly think he's one of the best signings we've done for the money that we paid 
Real Madrid are going to be fuming in a couple of years' time. They let him go. When they think that they're trying to renew the deals for 30-plus players like Cruz and Modric and obviously Casemiro eventually too, and they don't play over number 10, but when they need to, because they will need to move on from that formation and those three in midfield eventually, they will regret not having Odegaard at the club because he's this kid's going. I mean, to be six years into your senior, senior career at the age of 22 is mad anyway. Um, yeah. And it kind of shows you the experience that he's already got. He plays like a 26-year-old uh, or a 28-year-old at 22-year-old. Um, it's mad. So uh, absolutely. And I would have no qualms about giving him the captaincy, as Craig says. If, if, mm. if, you, if they said that Odegaard takes the armband next season, I'm all for that. I think he's a brilliant leader. So, uh, yeah, and you can see why he's got the Norway one as well. Um, <laughs> Vinny says, cough, cough, Tom. Remember in the summer when I got crucified for stating I 100% wanted him over Madison. I yeah, got that... crucified for that exact thing as well. So it's I feel it's your almost pain. like you can't have an opinion if you're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> is what it is. Look, I think Madison's a very good player, but I think that Erdegaard just gives us so much more of what we've needed from that position. And he's more versatile. I like this 4-3-3. Three, three. That's an interesting point to probably finish off the show, Harry, is that we didn't play 4-2-3-1 yesterday. We played 4-3-3 three, three with Partey kind of deeper and Jacker pushed further up and Erdegaard not in a 10, but kind of an 8 hybridish style role. And I think the reason why they do, why Arteta is doing that because I think he recognises that our right-back position when Tommy Asu comes into things is, gonna, is, is more reserved than the left-hand side. So you need a little bit more flair from the midfielder on the right-hand side of the three, which is Odegaard, to support uh, Bakaya Saka. And we saw that with that chance that was created for Lacazette in the first half. Do you, do you think this is probably the way forwards or do you think we still need a, an out-and-out out number 10 to get the best from this team? Um, I think when you get a better centre forward and with all due respect to Lacazette, who's a bit more all encompassing, who can do a little bit more, then I think yeah. that the need for a number 10 to arrive in the box late, etc., is reduced because I think a lot of the reason that we need someone to make those runs into midfield is because that Lacazette isn't, is enough of a, um, uh, enough of a presence in the penalty area for you to mm. just whip balls in. You, you need him almost to take people away and create space for someone else. But then in that sense, you need someone to come in and and hopefully, you know, take up those positions. I think, I think last night, and one of the things I pointed out on a show that I did earlier today was a, a real good sign that we learnt from that game at Brighton earlier in the season. Yeah. If you remember that game, we, we tried to play that kind of 4-4-2 thing um, again, or at least it looked mm -hmm. like that when you look on the average positions that the players took up. Uh, Is that more because of how deep Lacazette <laughs> gets? Yeah, in maybe. Yeah, maybe. But actually, Lacazette didn't play that day. It was a Bamiang. And, oh, okay. um, but we, what I mean is, although it wasn't that on paper, it was. It looked like that in terms of the average positions that the players took up. And one of the problems we we had that day was that we focused so much on stopping Brighton through the middle that we gave them the freedom of the flanks mm. and they constantly overlapped and constantly Kukurea. doubled up. Kukurea mm. in particular gave Tommy Asu a torrid time and we really struggled. And last night, what Arsenal did really, really well was find that balance between making sure that we were solid through the middle, but also addressing the problems in the wide areas that can be caused by a team that plays with a back three and wing backs. Wolves were actually really reserved on the left-hand side with Marcel and, and Roman Seiss in comparison to the right. But you could see that being in this 4-3-3, if you like, meant that Odegaard, as I mentioned earlier, could get out to the right-hand side and double up with Saka and mm -hmm. prevent them getting to Cedric. And on the other side, we saw Xhaka going out there as well, having that freedom to push higher up the pitch and slightly wider. 
And that was because we decided that the one-man pivot, if you like, in Thomas Partey was okay. Whereas there was an obsession with not leaving Partey isolated against Brighton that meant Lokonga kept going walkabouts out to the flank and or having to do it, but having to do it too late after he'd already um, sort of tucked inside and, and it was taking too long and they were having lots of joy. So I think that that formation just gives us that little bit more flexibility when we're dealing with that type of system uh, from our opponents. So I, I thought it worked well, yeah. Yeah, no, I really like it. And I think that if we can if we can find the player that replaces Xhaka in that system, I think you've got a great midfield three there. Uh, ironically, it could be in one of the players that we played against last night, Ruben Neves, who I'm mm. a big, big fan of. So uh, if if he turns out to be the guy or if it's Yuri Tillemans that takes on that role, I think that that will add a lot more kind of dynamism to Arsenal's midfield and, and, and certainly a lot more than Jack currently provides. So we'll see what happens. We'll finish off the show with Sam's awful joke uh, of, of a super chat. It doesn't really matter, sir. Anyone can see it. It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't have to, Sam, at all. And, and yes, you can see yourself out um <laughs> awful 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 harry thank you so much mate as always thank for coming you, on the show tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to yep head over to the chronicles of aguna uh tom's put very kindly put the link in the description so please head over there give it a subscribe um and there's a couple of shows off the back of last night's game there's the instant reaction and then of course a bit more of a tactical deep dive that i put out earlier on today so uh, check those out uh, really appreciate it Absolutely. Uh, you'll be able to check out the audio form of this show uh, on both of our audio platforms, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Uh, and if you do want to watch the next episode of the Canton and Simu show, you will need to be subscribed to Harry because we do this on alternating weeks on each of our channels. So next week's show will be on the Chronicles of Aguna. You'll be able to find our next show at 8am tomorrow morning as always. I'm sure that you'll be able to see myself and Harry on Lee Judges next week defending the honour of positivity as always. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure to join you guys in the chat box thank you for tuning in do drop a like before you leave and as always up the Arsenal it's the 90 plus minute all your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfection Order now on the McDonald's app for your Mook delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.